I hate to bother you guys before the ep. In fact, I'm kind of embarrassed by it, but to be totally frank, it's a request. So at the end of every episode, we talk about Patreon, and I've been making it seem like a throwaway addition, but it is not. To be totally frank with you guys, this show takes a ton of time, a ton of our resources, and it is our Patreon supporters who allow us to do that with our normal day. So if you've been listening to this show for a while, if you even like it a little, a bit, please help us out. Hop onto Patreon, search out Warriors Huddle, and for a little as like a dollar a month, you will be helping this show survive. And even more than that, we promise to supply you guys with as much extra content that we possibly can. If you do it, phenomenal. Thank you. If not, don't worry about it. We appreciate your time, but I hadn't been honest with you, and I wanted to spend some time before this app to come completely clean. We're going to bring y'all into our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My producer, Marcus. Hey, what's up, Dev Nation? And my master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? What's going on? And gentlemen, as you both know, I am fired up to announce rejoining us after a couple of weeks, the Golden State beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who covers every single Warriors practice, press conference, shoot around, and game, Mr. Connor Letourneau. Good to be here. Good to be back. I, I was getting all fired up to say the whole, what's up, Connor? It's kind of like my go-to thing, and you immediately cut me off. I mean, I just, I'm just so excited to be here. We I have just, great I chemistry normally. When it, now, I, I almost want to reset it. I was distracted because Marcus is God knows where on the phone. This whole thing is setting off weird. <laughs> but nonetheless, I am happy to have everybody here and let me... Uh, let me first bring the audience in. We are doing this in the friendly confines of my home. We're not in our garage, shockingly enough. We've got a new family room that we're sitting in. And behind me, kind of I want to point out, this thing over here on the wall, that is called a picture. I don't want you to get surprised by it or confused. I know you prefer kind of the dorm room look at your house, but the, the, some people do, in fact, put those up on the wall. So don't get distracted. Some people actually live at their houses, I hear. <laughs> That's a thing, too, right? That also <laughs> happens. And uh, Marcus, if you could somehow make sure to recreate the echoey bathroom sound that you had uh, when we were on the phone about 30 seconds ago. That'd be fantastic, too. Yeah, I'm on my way to the sauna right now, so I'll, I'll bring that up. Well, listeners everywhere couldn't be more fired up, but uh, I am bearing the lead. Gentlemen, we are finally in a series that we have been waiting for all year, a series many have billed as the probable finals, at least the Western Conference finals, Warriors-Houston. So I want to jump into my favorite segment, and it's the Off the Court Report. The concept of the Off the Court Report is remarkably simple. If you care about the Warriors enough to listen to this podcast, you obviously watch every single game. You're certainly watching now. It's the playoffs. But what Connor has that we don't is eyes on this team off the court. He sees what they do during the practices. He gets into the locker rooms. He sees all these things. So during the Off the Court Report, what we do is I get the hell out of the way, cough up the mic, give it to Connor, and ask what he has seen off the court, outside of the lines since the last time we've had a chance to pod with him. So, Connor, what do you got, man? Yeah, so for this segment, I usually tell you guys something that no one is aware of that, you know, didn't appear on any video or didn't go viral. But it, today I want to talk about something that the average listener is probably very aware of, which was a couple of weeks ago uh, during a off day during the first round uh, Steve Kerr's media availability 
the 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 awkward interaction between him and Draymond Green. And I was lucky enough to be standing directly to Steve's left during this situation. And I actually thought of I thought of Bram when this was all going down. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely because Bram is really fu- we've had a couple awkward interactions together <laughs> in our in our friendship. And you're just you're you you like to narrate when there's an awkward interaction <laughs> happening, and I really wanted there to be a narrator during this situation because it just really warranted it. But as you guys have seen the video, I can tell you, it was twenty thousand times awkwarder to be there in person. <laughs> you're prominently featured in the video. Incidentally. I know, <laughs> I know. And, and uh, when I watched it, did I you narrated. see my face? I was like. I mean, the listener can't see my face, but I was so awkward. I, my mouth was wide. I was like, ah. When I watched the video, I not only saw your face, I narrated the entire thing. So, I mean, it worked out perfectly for me, but I don't want to stand it. Go ahead. Tell them the story. Right. We have right. sound from it. So, too. so tell them the story. So, we can one, play this happens all the time. Uh, this happens all the time with Steve where he'll sit down to do a media availability and the music will be playing because they love to play music really loud during practice. And then Steve will say to Ray Ritter, who's their PR guru, Hey, can you turn that down? And then we'll we'll start the availability just so I can hear everyone's questions. And that happens all the time. So when he did that that day, no one thought twice about it. It was like, okay, well, let's just wait for the music to get turned down. And then uh, and then Ray goes, just Ray just shakes his head and it's just like I I can't. Uh, Draymond doesn't want it down. <laughs> and I I don't think I've ever seen Ray say no. I mean, I'm I work with Ray on a daily basis and he's the ultimate yes man. Like he's so accommodating and helpful and will do anything he can to fulfill a request. And for him to say no in a public setting to Steve Kerr was shocking to me. <laughs> and you could see Steve Kerr's eyes where he was like uh, what? Uh, and then he, and then he kind of, he kind of left it like, okay, well, I'm gonna give you some time now to go actually do it. And then he he answers a question. Probably a minute goes by, and the music hasn't been lowered. And Steve's like, "What's going on?" And he gets up and he's like, "Ray," and he's like, "I can't. Draymond won't let me." And Draymond, meanwhile, is shooting on the nearest court. So. Bram, you're aware of this. It's where Steph and KD always shoot when media. It's that court. So the it's one that, that is court. We're the talking, closest court. We're talking less than ten feet away. Yeah, from literally less than ten feet away. I also know what that court is, just for the record. <laughs> okay, good for you. That way, that's a lie, but whatever. And Draymond doesn't even acknowledge this situation, but he he saw the media. He knows how this works. He knew what was happening. Does I've Dray- had people tweet at me and say Draymond, did, it was a misunderstanding. No, it was not a misunderstanding. Draymond knew what was happening. And so the most telling thing about it to me was, you know, when when Ray again says, I can't turn it down, Draymond won't let me, um, Janie McCauley from AP says, well, jokingly, mm-hmm. you know, who's in charge here? Mm-hmm. And then you saw, you guys mm-hmm. all saw sure did. Steve's eyes. He was certainly not me. He was, <laughs> he was, uh, he's like, certainly, obviously not me. Yep. And then he finishes his, his, uh, his press conference. And the way I knew for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that he was really pissed was at the end, you know, 10-minute availability, at the end of it, he, he he says to everyone, I hope you enjoy the music now. And then straight-faced, blank stare, walks over to the stereo, puts in his, his, his earbuds, 
walks into the the gymnasium, which is or the weight room, which is right next to the court. You can see it through a glass door. Walks in there, and Draymond's in there, and they walk right by each other. Don't even make eye contact, and don't say anything. And it was that to me was the most telling thing because Steve jokes around a lot. You know, it's hard to tell sometimes how upset he is about things, but the fact that he brought it up unprompted afterward showed me that he, it was a real thing. And I know a lot of fans felt like we were blowing that out of proportion, but I led my story that day with it, and I basically said. This is an example of why this has been a hard season for the Warriors. So that is because his voice is not resonating. That is a phenomenal story, um, and we're going to use it as a jumping-off point. A couple of observations: one, who is it who asked who's in charge here? Uh, Jane McCauley from okay. AP. Okay, she's um, won a Pulitzer. So when I heard that, and and I'm, I'm going to give you some background on my own social neurosis. You, when you said earlier that I will narrate a awkward moment, you're not wrong. I will do that. And the reason I do it is because I'm trying to suck the awkward out of the situation. You know what I mean? Like, I'll try to make a joke out of it so all of us can, can laugh, move on, and we, we are no longer feeling weird. And when I listened and when I watched that video and I listened to her say, who's in charge here? She was trying to do that, yeah. but it was the worst possible thing she could have said instead of taking the awkwardness out it magnified it by a billion and in my mind it was the best possible thing she could have said because it showed how real of a situation sure it was. Of that, yeah, fair enough. if not for that yep. question we might not fully know the extent of how have, yeah how much it bothered them but the what i love about it is it also is the perfect juxtaposition it's the first question and the best question to kind of show the difference between where this team was five days ago and today because when that happened was before Friday before they closed out the Clippers series now we are on a you know we're, we're leading 2-0 against Houston so let me set up the question like this you and I have talked about the Warriors complacency throughout the entire year we have acknowledged this team's talent base we know that they should be the most favored team in the history of favored teams in the NBA, right? But we've also said they tend to kind of tune out and there's a disconnect in the locker room and occasionally some of that disconnect comes from Draymond. So now, now that we're beyond that moment and on the other side of two Houston wins, is all that behind us? Do you think this team is now locked in and this locker room is cohesive again? I think that they're locked in for this series. Honestly, I could I could see it being a situation where the Warriors win this series in four or five games and just show off how epically talented they are and look dominant. And then they go into the next series against the winner of Portland and Denver, and it goes like seven games. Yeah. And people are seriously worried they're going to lose that series because they're just not as threatened by a Portland without Nurkic or Denver, who they defecated on during the regular season. Yeah. Um, and I think that we don't like the word here, so thank you for. <laughs> and the the reality, the reality is the the Rockets pose a real threat, and I think that's what the Warriors needed right now. And I also think the fact that they're coming off that first round series, where honestly, I think they were a little dis- they were a little embarrassed. Yep, you know, losing a thirty one point lead to a Clippers team that was lucky to make the playoffs, going to six games against a Clippers team who's arguably their best player is Lou Williams, who. You know, if he was on the Warriors, it'd be the fifth, sixth best player. Yep. Um, so I think I think that those two things combine the timing of this series with the fact that it is the Rockets, and the Rockets have made it so publicly apparent that they want to beat the Warriors. I think has has made the Warriors ratchet up their intensity level. But one thing I want to remind people is I think people 
look at this team right now and they think all the problems have just gone away. But the what way, the way I would compare it to is you always have to think about situations, put yourself in their shoes or, or put them in your shoes. Like for you, if you have a big trial coming up, right? Everything else that's going on, any workplace dispute you have, any office friction you have going on, doesn't matter because you're so dialed in and zoned in on the task at hand because the stakes are so high that you don't even feel all that other stuff. And then when that trial ends, you go back to feeling all the drama and BS that you felt before. And I think that's the case with this Warriors team. Right now in this series, they're so locked in on winning that... It's it's kind of blinders to everything else, but it doesn't mean it's gone. They're just not paying attention to it right now. Let's say they have success through this series, right? To continue your analogy, I have a trial, but I'm successful in it. There's a chance that that success is going to pave at least a couple of months of goodwill with whoever I did it with. You know what I mean? Like even if I had huge funk before I go into the trial, but we win it, I'm going to be happy. There's there's going to be some carryover good feelings. You know what I mean? So for this team, because of course. What I loved about your description of, let's call it Soundgate, was the end of it. It's the piece of the story we hadn't gotten. What we know for sure, at least from what you were able to watch, is that Draymond and Kerr weren't able to sit down and work this stuff out, right? So my question is, is success enough to work it out? You know, like they they win this series and Draymond and Kerr never sit down, never talk about whatever it is they need to talk about. Does it just disappear? And obviously this is a guess, but you're such a good read of people. You know, it's one of the reasons I enjoy your friendship does this will a win over the Rockets or a championship over whomever fix these issues? No. And I know this might sound weird, but I've, I've, I've thought this for a while now. I don't think that whatever happens in these playoffs is going to change what happens this off season. I think a lot of people look at this and they say, well, you know, if the Warriors win another title and Durant wins finals, if you, Finals MVP, maybe that helps his chances of, of coming back. And I totally understand that logic. But I honestly think because of the unique situation the Warriors in Warriors are in, where they're so epically more talented than every team they face, where it's anything other than a championship would be a massive disappointment. Winning a championship would be great, but it's just kind of accomplishing what you you yeah. should be accomplishing. It, it, it's not as high of a high as it would be for any other team. And I honestly think that Durant's gone regardless of whether they win a title. I think there's a good chance Draymond's traded regardless of how he does the rest of the playoffs, which might sound crazy because he's looked amazing in these playoffs. But, you know, the Warriors are smart enough not to make a decision solely based off a two-month sample size. So here, they, A lot of the hay is in the, in the barn, so to speak. Here's where I get to be blissfully ignorant. Ready? This is me just as a Warriors fan. I don't care. I'm going to deal with that next year. I'm putting my head deep into the ostrich playoff sound. As you should. As a fan, you should do that. They are. I mean, enjoy life. I mean, even as an intelligent fan, even as somebody who recognizes perhaps we'll never see this again, it is for that reason why we just need to sit back and allow this to wash over us. If it never happens again, and I spend this year thinking about it's never going to happen again, as opposed to this is amazing, then I have wasted the final year or something that is unbelievable and well, I, yeah I think it's good to have at least a base level awareness in the back of your mind that I might not have this game because I do think there's there's been a, a little bit of a sense of people taking this dynasty for granted and the reality is as soon as next season they're not going to be the favorites anymore uh, <laughs> and so this might be the last title 
in a in a long time. Dude, the favorites so, they used to not be guaranteed to win twenty wins. This team used to like the only day I cared about at all in uh, in April or June was the draft. You know, so yes, dude, soak this up because things can change immediately. And in that vein, let's start soaking up every moment of this. Let's jump in to the Houston series. What I've done is I put together a bunch of questions. We're going to be veering left and right, back and forth, many of which focus on this year. And here's my first. Um, Steph, even though we're coming off a great win, we're not going to play again until Saturday. Suffered an injury yesterday, which was kind of scandalous for me, by the way. I watched the game on tape delay. Um, I was about an hour out. And on Slack, which is populated by our Patreon people, somebody uh, used the Slack channel to say, um, crap, Steph's hurt. And so I got that before I started watching the game. And so I spent the entire time with this pit in my stomach. So the Warriors come out hot. You know what I mean? They, they looked really good. Durant had a defensive intensity. But I couldn't enjoy any of it because you, it was like swimming in a pool that you knew had a shark in it. Like, right. at some point, dude, this is going to go really poorly. So the bottom line is that Steph suffered a uh, dislocated middle finger on his left hand. So first question is... Fine? Any residual? Anything? Can we expect him to be 100% come Saturday? Yeah, I think he's totally fine. Nothing serious at all. If you've ever had a finger dislocated, it hurts for a little while, and there might be pain for 24 to 48 hours, but... By, luckily for the Warriors, the next game is not till Saturday. So he has a good four, four or so days to, to rest up, and he'll be totally fine to get, and ready to go. So I made some joke on Twitter saying, Steph, if you need a middle finger, you can certainly use mine, but I don't want to give you both because one of them is spent pointing at Houston right now. But after I made the joke, I thought of uh, the follow-up question. It would be this. Would you give up a body part for an actual player on your team. Because we talk about this like this dedication to this team is over the top. Would you, would you give an ankle? Would you give your so that's healthy what I mean. okay, ankle That's exactly right. Okay, so for me, it's a spectrum. Would I give Steph Curry my left middle finger on Saturday? Sure, dude. Like I, that, I think I would definitely do that. I could be kind of awkward, but that's fine. Would I give him my left ankle for the better part of a season? I'm going to say no. I don't think I would. I don't think I'd be willing to hobble it out for like five or six months. So there's a limit on the spectrum of my fandom. Maxime, where are you at on this? Are you all the way, like he blows out both a ACLs? Would you give up both legs for nine months? I. I would for Steph, but the problem is it's I, I, I don't think I would for this Warriors team. I don't trust that they would take advantage of that. I feel like I'd be sitting on the couch for nine months even more pissed off than I am when they're blowing a home <laughs> game to the f- Phoenix Suns. So I don't know. You know, that's a that is a that's a tricky question. You are a complex dude, Maxime. Every time I think I'm gonna get like a real straightforward answer, like oh, I would for Steph, but not for this team. And I'm not like there's like a Sigmund Freud analysis that was necessary to get to the bottom. Of oh, oh, okay. So would you for Steph this team? You would not. Correct. Okay, gotcha. And it's uh, it's interesting that you bring up Freud. <laughs> Everybody sit back for about an hour. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, uh, as it turns out, uh, you don't know this about me, but my dad um, blew off his left hand making homemade rockets when he was 13. So the entire time I've known him, the entire time my mom has known him, he's only had one hand. Huh. And he's an architect, right, and like does a bunch of drafting. I mean, he has raised a kid that is almost normal. Um and uh, and he's you know he's got a healthy life going on. Right? So this is but, not you. 
Which, uh, he has another the kid. other kid. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, I'm gotcha. way off. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. That's why I yeah. like you, and you deep, and I have a lot in common. Deep yeah. off. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm really glad they have a normal kid. That's fantastic. No, this is this. So, so you have some interesting perspective to bring to this losing a body part conversation. Well, right, because I was, I was, and actually, you know, I, I, I was the only child, right? So I was my dad's second set of hands. Right, and I mean, he got a long way with one hand. So first of all, I know it's totally possible. Do you mind me? Was he was he right? Like, was it? He was his left hand, and he was right handed. Okay, so it's sort of like Steph in that. Right, it's not his shooting hand; it's just the hand that helps him hold the ball. And it's the same for my dad. My dad would rest his wrist on the table to hold the paper while he drew on it with his right hand. Huh. Um, and so you know, it's one of those things where yeah, it's totally a spectrum. The body adapts to ridiculous amounts of. Um, uh, loss of yeah. limbs, right? Yeah, adversity. So I, I totally, I, I know that it's actually quite possible to um, not only get by, but actually succeed and even excel with less than an entirely quote unquote normal human body. You got that got a lot deeper than you were expecting. If you had given me a thousand guesses on what his answer would have been, a thousand guesses on what his answer would have been, not one of them would have been. I actually have personal experience with giving up a body part to help someone I really love. Like, and so, like, yeah, man, like we ventured into some serious right there, and that's amazing and optimistic. And I don't know what to do with it. I love that we can learn about each other on this podcast. I don't. I'm not. I'm not here to learn about anything. But I. I, I guess I enjoyed that. That moment, uh, I will in fact move us on towards another injury. Um, and if Maxime, you have somebody blind in your life, then I will be shocked by this as well. <laughs> but the other major injury to come out of last night was James Harden, who suffered what looked to be like complete and total blindness by the end of the evening. But I'll leave it to you, Connor. He had a scratched, I guess, left eye at the hands of Draymond Green. But where is James Harden as far as you understand it, and will he be uh, playing on Saturday? I think the Rockets are also very thankful that the game's not till Saturday. Um, from what's been reported out of Houston, when the Rockets landed back in Houston this morning, the first thing James Harden did was he went Get to an, see an eye dog. He saw an eye doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he saw an eye doctor. And apparently even today he was having a hard time seeing, oh, uh, which shows how – bad it was because you, you I, I don't know if you've ever had temporary vision loss I have and it's rare to go more than a day without it if, when you had temporary vision loss were you able to go repeatedly through your legs with a basketball and drive heavily to the hole without any problem or pass phenomenally well to teammates without any issue I mean, you have to all? understand a lot of what these basketball players do is based off instinct I mean they, they play basketball every day but I will tell you, I was in that press conference. Helen Keller. I was in that press had. conference post game, and he was seriously struggling, especially with the lights. It was. It felt you felt for him. Then again, you know, you are the media, right? I mean, how much of that? And I'm like, yeah, how much of that is an act, right? There was a the very classic Charles Barkley quote in the post game coverage where I don't remember who said it, Kenny or Shaq was like. Uh, yeah, like he was definitely clearly having a hard time, and Chuck was like, "Yeah, but he was only squinting on defense." And that's, that's okay. A- that's funny. This is a completely biased take. I'll be the first to say. <laughs> Completely biased. First, let me say that just based, it's a player who's known for flopping, so it was hard for me to immediately accept that he was hurt. And when it took him eight decades to come back from the locker room because of an eye injury, it was hard for me to accept. But two, 
Maybe it's just me and it's my read, but his eye problems seemed to be getting worse with the score or better with the score, depending on what it was. When they were down 10, he blinked like there was acid in his eye. When they were uh, came within four, it looked like he was on the verge of recovery, like there was no issues at all, which just screams a disingenuous nature. You know what I mean? But as opposed to accuse him of faking the injury or flaming it up for whatever reason, I'll say this. It's a memo to uh, my boy Peter Goober. So a voice or a name, rather, that some of us may not have heard for a while. There are, in fact, a couple of owners of the Golden State Warriors, one of which we know very well, Joe Lacob. He runs the entire show. There's a reason we talk about him far more. But the other owner is Peter Goober. Who's actually richer. Okay. In fact, he comes from Hollywood. He used to run Hollywood Studios. And he's in charge of all the Cirque du Soleil crap. When they announced Chase Center, Peter Goober was the guy who organized literally Cirque du Soleil, all these acrobats jumping out of construction equipment to make a big deal about it. On a more baseline level, he's also the person who's the author of the pyrotechnics before the game. If you go to a game now and you watch it, they've taken this thing to a Hollywood level. When the Warriors are announced, they turn off the lights, they've got fire blasts, they've got these weird lights that get reduced from the, or lowered from the ceiling and blink on and off. So this is my memo to you, Peter Goober. This is the time we need you to change the course of the NBA. Apparently, Harden is having time or a difficult time with flashing lights. I need Game 5, should there be a Game five's opening, to be the most seizure-inducing, ridiculous display of lights you have ever seen. Give Houston a light display. Do it all. Let's get like $50,000 of anything you can put together in fireworks if, in fact, Harden can completely see at the end of the uh, opening introductions, Peter Goober, you failed. I need you to step up and play a role. Now, legit to ask, is that like cheating? I mean, it feels like a legitimate thing. Uh, it's within the rules, right? <laughs> I mean, let's, let's go to X's and O's. Why has Golden State won their first two games? Uh, they've won their first two games because they're trying hard. Um, honestly, easy. honestly, yeah. I mean, I did a story about this today. That you you can actually we're at the point now with our analytics that you can measure hustle. You know, the hustle st- hustle stats are a real thing on NBA.com, and their hustle stats the first two games have been through the roof. They're getting deflections. They're they're getting deflections. They're getting offensive rebounds. They're setting those kind of brick wall screens that are freeing guys up for for wide open looks. Um, obviously, Draymond's been a huge part of that. But um, defensively, I think they've been really impressive. The war, the Rockets entering the the postseason had the second best uh, the second best offensive rating ever behind this year's huh. Warriors team. The Warriors had the best offensive rating ever. The Rockets narrowly missed that, had the second best. And so far during this series, they have an offensive rating that would rank in the bottom nine teams in the regular season. They It was on par with the Detroit Pistons, who aren't very good offensively. Wow. And um, that's been just a testament to, to what the Warriors have been doing def- defensively. And with the Warriors... They have all the tools to be an elite defensive team. It's just always been a matter of their effort and their, their, their how well they're locked in. And I think right now, like everything we talked about earlier, they see a challenge. I think they're a little pissed off. You guys saw how inspired they opened game two. I think that they were annoyed by that whole narrative of the officiating and the fact that the Rockets are going back and counting fouls from the 
2017 West Finals. I was like, the Warriors were like, you know what? We're gonna give you no excuses. Mm-hmm. We're just gonna kick your ass. Yep. And props to the Rockets. The thing about the Rockets that's impressed me in the first two series is there's been no reason they should be in either of these games. Yet for whatever reason, they're only losing by like six, seven points. Yep. And that's why I, th- I think they could still be a threat in this series. Yep, I, I completely agree with you. As far as why the Warriors are winning, we've made the joke and the analogy to the Princess Bride scene where the guy goes from the left hand to the right hand. We're sitting there fighting right-handed. They care. You know, I mean, they're, they're giving them everything they have. And right now, that talent base is simply better. Something that we have said the entire time. There, you know, and that, that's totally true. I mean, I remember the first play of the first game was this beautiful, like, side play that then led to a backdoor from from uh, from Draymond. It's like just just beautiful, wide open, the entire lane put it up. Um, but I gotta say, there's also you know a lot in the in the Clippers series, there was a lot of discontent around Kerr's lack of um, in game adjustments, and I always felt like Kerr is of the opinion that this team is talented enough to beat a Clippers style team with with just their starting five doing everything by the book. But right off of the bat for game 1, you know, he inserts death lineup. It's clear he's not screwing around. And then even in game 2 they did this thing right uh, that Ethan Strauss wrote about bumping off yeah. where like every single time and this is new for game 2 they weren't doing it in game 1. You could see it. They were they were moving Steph off of the help defender who was going to right, who's going to end up being the one that uh, is in the pick and roll, right? So they knew who was going to be um, involved in the pick and roll, and they moved Kate, uh, Steph one man further away, and so he wasn't ever going to be switched on to Harden. And I mean, that's the type of thing we know that Harden is constantly yeah. hunting that specific mismatch. He wants Curry as his primary defender, and the Warriors were consistently excellent at making sure that Steph was never switched on to Harden. That looked like a Ron Adams specialty. That Ron Adams is really good at finding those types of wrinkles, and and he knows the defensive personnel better than anyone. And so that was definitely a Ron Adams thing. And what what I think we saw in the first round was Doc Rivers is a phenomenal in game tactician. He's great at making in game changes. That's never been that's never been Steve's specialty. He would tell you that. He will tell you that. Um, and I also I think he and. D'Antoni are similar in that they have similar strengths. They're good at relating to their guys. They're good, very good offensively at coming up with schemes and game plans. But in terms of in-game adjustments, that's not really their forte. And I think that plays to the Warriors' benefit because they're not going to have to tweak things, especially offensively, as much as they they would have, you know, if they were against going up against the Doc Rivers coach team. I've come to appreciate Kerr more during these playoffs, which is a remarkably strange thing to say because most Warrior fans seem to have used these playoffs as justification to criticize him more. And here's why I appreciate him. It's a different look. So every time I've, I've thought about coaches before, I've separated coaches from players. Here's what I mean. When I look at players, I understand they're good at some things, not good at others. If Steph doesn't have a post game, I'm not angry about that. When Shaq couldn't shoot the three, I wasn't frustrated about his inability to shoot the three. These guys were very good at very specific things. It turns out that mentally speaking, coaches are the same. We don't evaluate them that way. We expect them to be great across the board in all spectrums, but of course they're good at some things and not good at others. I mean, I'm sure you're better at certain aspects of your job than I'm you I'm terrible are. at all of them. Like, all of them, but I appreciate like you saying Like, for that. me, like, I'm like a feature writer. I'm not as good at, like, 
the super in-depth oh, X's and O's okay. story. If like, I'm going to give myself the, credit, my thing. I can narrate awkward moments. I'm really good at that. But yeah. most other things I can't get my way through. But what this playoffs has helped me recognize both credit and not. Let's start with not. Kerr's not at in-game adjustments. He can't. He's not good at them. That, that is not his skill set. It, that It's not something we can expect him to be good at because he would tell you he's not good at it. But he is phenomenally good at developing the system. He's great in the locker room. He can make adjustments at halftime. He's good during timeouts. There's all these other upsides. And we are seeing both sides of that coin during this year. And the biggest credit I can give him and the biggest distinction between he and somebody like Mark Jackson is that he would agree with what I'm telling you. He he can he can make this distinction and recognize to quote you what you just told us he's not that good at in game adjustments you know what he did he brought in Ron Adams who can help him with these kind of things he brought in Mike Brown he brought in Gentry like Mike Brown is in charge of the rotation uh, the substitution pattern there you go he's really good at thinking on the fly he's got his little his little substitution right. sheets and okay. all that he's he's a great mathematician do you know how secure you have to be with yourself yes. in order to say listen this to is delegate. what I'm not good at to, to delegate exactly. that's what yep. good leadership that's, that is, is leadership right? for yep. sure I mean the best presidents they're not great at everything that's why there are cabinets right it's their job to go out there and convince people that their policies which is a reflection of everything that their cabinet is doing is a good idea that's the job and this part is, of being good at the job is put empowering people exactly. and hiring people who are good and, and putting them in roles that accentuate their talents. This is a compliment by way of a criticism, which is not something you hear very frequently. Steve Kerr is at in-game adjustments, is phenomenal at other portions, and recognizes its its importance and has delegated that thing to other things, which is just another cry to everybody out there who is currently not uh, appreciating a coach who has worn you know, yes. titles every single year except for one in his entire career. Let me ask you this, all right? After game one, the Rockets came out and issued a report to the league. Supposedly, they didn't want everyone else to find out, but the media found out about it immediately. And in that report, they supposedly explained, and I don't don't know if it was a video or a piece of paper. I'm not sure what the hell it was. But in it, they explained that through both game one and game seven of last year's Western Conference Finals, the Rockets were cost 81-81 points because the referees were, were missing calls. All right, um, and it went so far as to point out during Game One, the Rockets said that uh, James Harden should have been called for an offensive foul. Wasn't the ball goes the other way and Steph hits a three, so those threes should have been taken off the board. All right, but I digress. My question to you is this: the team that puts in that report to the league is that a super savvy, smart team? You know what I mean? They they just understand who this is. They understand how to play the play the media, they understand how to how to create a narrative and they're getting an advantage for their team, or is it a desperate move? I actually don't think the actual act of reviewing film and, and having those types of reports is that unique. I think a lot of teams do that. I think the fact that it went public the way it did, the timing of it was super weird. Um I you know Dentoni a lot of people are mad at Dentoni over this and Dentoni didn't do those reports. It was Daryl Morey and his people. Um, and anyone who knows Daryl Morey knows that he's a very obsessive person and he's very obsessive about the Warriors. So it does not surprise me at all that he would do that. And and I'm not saying he leaked it, but, you know, maybe put the wheels in motion for that to be leaked. I'll say he and, leaked it. <laughs> I, allegedly. I don't know. I mean, how would I know he leaked it? <laughs> um, but it shows a lack of awareness 
about your opponent because you should know that the last thing you want to do is piss off the Warriors. You mean wake a sleeping dog? Yeah. Because <laughs> all the Warriors need to kick your ass is to be motivated. And they were already motivated, and now they're super motivated because you made the entire narrative for two days about the officiating and the calls you didn't get. I, I Absolutely. And I will also say that the national media clearly took the Warriors' side in this. I mean, there was sort of universal criticism of this approach, and to the point that it kind of seemed like Houston came out with the tail between their legs in Game 2. There was there was no complaints about any foul calls across the entire thing. I don't think they got what they wanted at all. And in fact, I think what they ended up doing was getting Draymond to kind of chill out a little bit too. There were a couple of calls where you saw him just kind of walk to the bench and just chill for a second. That played to our advantage. I'm generally speaking above math jokes. I don't like to use math or multiplication or any form of math as a joke, but it did strike me that 27 times 3 is 81, and I find that to be so remarkably entertaining. That, and, and for those who don't remember, they missed 27 threes at the end of that game seven, so it is appropriate to me that that ended up being the point total. You know, too bad for them. Wow. I also, that, you just blew my mind. That you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. That's what I come with math Revelations. But Check out the Warriors Huddle Conspiracy YouTube wow. channel. <laughs> yeah. Also known as Math is Fun. You can go ahead and check that out. Uh, but let me use it as a transition to this. What would you guys grade the officiating so far in this Houston series? I'll go first. I'm going to give it an A. Here's why. Um, after that game one, all of this stuff happened, right? This this report was issued. We started questioning landing space and what should be allowed. And, and it was. I wrote more about officiating. In that two-day span that I had, like, all season. Okay. And so the danger was, what I was expecting was, is that the officials were going to be the story of Game 2. So much so, by the way, that Houston considered it some kind of a huge advantage that Scott Foster was coming to ref. I'm disadvantage. Gonna, I'm sorry, yeah. Some kind of disadvantage to them. That was it. I've never seen... The, the fact that a referee was assigned a game be such a huge story. Dude, Warrior fans everywhere can attest, we hate Scott Foster. That I know. Is not Actually, like our best I, went on a, I went on a Houston radio show the morning of the game, and they said, you know Rockets fans hate Scott Foster. Is there is there a, a referee that Warriors fans hate? I said, Scott Foster. Scott Foster, good for you. You know, I got a call from that, that Houston radio station, but I just couldn't make it that day. It's weird. I, I was going to make it that I was going to join you. Anyways, um, why I'd give them an A if we pick up the narrative is despite that, the officials were remarkably good in Game 2. They were not the story. In fact, they went out of their way to let these guys play. And for that reason alone, i give them an A. How do you guys interpret the officiant? It's been a big story. Good? Bad? What do you think? I also give them an A. I think that the the no calls on that um, landing zone foul, when it's this that ambiguous takes a lot of guts because they know that it's different from how you do it in the regular from how how it's been called in the regular season um and they knew that there was going to be a huge amount of backlash and i was very intentional i mean there were six or seven that could that uh, should have for what harden was expecting for what the rockets were expecting to have been calls and the fact that they didn't call it meant that it was premeditated and that takes like a lot of guts yeah i'm sure they did a lot of research entering this series and i Mm -hmm. give them props for that because the reality is the rock Rockets were upset because they weren't getting the calls they got in the regular season. Of yep. course, dude. That's why Harden said, I just want a fair chance because he's used to getting the those calls. But the reality is he didn't deserve to get those calls. And there was maybe one closeout, the one the clay closeout that that was a bad call. 
that should have been a foul. But everyone's talking about that one call. Yep. I mean, over the course of the game, you're gonna miss some calls. 100%. Like that doesn't. No one's perfect. I, I don't think that that's that big a deal. And I Players thought I shots. thought in game two they were great. And you look at the foul totals from both games; they're very even. There's a fable. There's a a, a fairy tale that all of us are remarkably familiar with that applies to this immediately. It's called the boy who cried wolf. We understand what the hell happened. Harden flailed his hands and his beard and all of his bullshit he for 82 games. For 82 games he did. And they got calls for 82 games. And then he went out and he did the exact same crap in a real series with the world watching. And we had already figured out that they weren't falls. So at that point, he cried wolf and nobody answered. That's what happens. We learn this at five. You know what I mean? Like this, this is kind of, this is part of the show. But I digress. Let me follow it up with this. What adjustments do you expect? All right, so the Warriors are up 2-0. It feels phenomenal, but the other side of that coin is this is what should have happened. We protected on court. Now we go back to them. They are expected to win the next two. If you're D'Antoni, if you're a Houston fan, what adjustments? What do you think we'll see? They need to find some sort of way to get Capella involved, and I don't know, I don't know what an easy solution is because the reality is he's just a horrible matchup against Draymond. And so if, do you maybe try to stagger his minutes so that they, they can catch him when Draymond's on the court or something? I don't know. Maybe you bring him off the bench. But they need to figure something out because there's no chance of them winning this series if Capella's as much of a non-factor as he's been in the first two games. I, I totally agree, and it's clearly been a point of the Warriors to uh, eliminate the lob threat to Capella. I mean, there was like one alley-oop. And the thing that about Capella is that's really all he has. Right. He's a phenomenal lob threat, but he's very one-dimensional. The Warriors are smart enough where if you're one-dimensional, they'll figure out how to negate that one dimension. I don't know if they're looking for big changes because they, just like you've already said, they've been in every single game. Some of that is Warriors turnovers at inopportune moments, but it's not like they've been getting blown out, so I can see them wanting to stick to their game plan. But I will dovetail this into another question I was going to ask anyways. What's the thing that surprises you most? It's what you guys have already talked about, but I'll add another component to it. One is Capella's lack. I don't know where the hell he's at. But the other thing I don't understand, where the hell is Kenneth Fareed? Kenneth Farid has destroyed Warriors since he was in Denver. I understand why you'd go with Capella first. Of course you would. He's their he's their starter and their and their star. But why would you go with the corpse of Nene Hilario before you gave Nene Kenneth should not Fareed? be playing at all. So what's happening? Well, at all. I don't. I I mean, and I I hope and trust that Mike D does not listen to this podcast. I can't imagine he would take any suggestions from it. But the thing that has surprised me and a change that I would suggest for Houston is where if Kenneth. Fareed because he fits in to exactly what Houston needs. He's like to do a very, series. very, very poor man's Montrose. So what the hell is going on? Why? I mean, can you think of any reason why he would not be prominently involved in this series? Demarcus Cousins. What do I you think. Mean? I think that. I mean, we saw how how interesting the matchup between Cousins and Fareed was over the two games that Cousins was in when we played Rockets in the regular season. Um, and I and I would imagine that that was something they were like, listen, if the Warriors are going to start the death lineup, we need to go smaller, we need to go lighter. They don't have a traditional center um, in their starting rotation, so we don't need to you know implement them as much. And I mean, even Kavon Looney, basically, like I would see Bogut being more. Of, you mean so if Boogie was healthy and playing, they would be going 
more of their traditional five lineup, so we see more of Farid. But you, you'd think that Farid would also fit into the transitional lineup. He's a guy who should theoretically be able to guard more positions than, for example, again, Nene Hilario. No, listen, I'm, I'm right there with you in that I find it somewhat baffling. So that's the first thing that came to mind, but I do think it is confusing. And just to say, this is sort of a win-win. Um, Mike D'Antoni, if you are listening, come on the pod, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, go f*** yourself, Mike D. <laughs> you are... No, actually, come on the pod. I take that back. I take that back as fast as I possibly could. I, let me say one thing about adjustments. You know one thing that's a really bad sign for the Rockets right now? The fact that zero. The fact that the Warriors are shooting so few three-pointers, and they're you know, the few three-pointers that they're shooting, they're not hitting, yeah. and they've, they're still up 2-0. Like the the Rockets are executing their game plan. They they wanted to get them off the line and shooting mid range, yep. but the Warriors are hitting the mid range at such a high rate. I'm gonna break this up. Let's let's get away from X's and O's. I'm gonna have you reassume your position as the honorable Letourneau. I'm sure you remember this, Maxime, wow. but we'd occasionally have uh, Connor sit in and, and would provide rulings from the bench. Oh my god! This one's gonna be fast. The last one we did the was the worst awful. experience. <laughs> I've ever had. I'm not sure pod. we have to tell the audience. I'm not sure we have to tell the audience that we did have a bad one. I was one. so mad at you that night. I, 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 I was, was in New York. Myself. I was with my best friend. We we're going out. Took time out of my night to go do that for you. I it appreciate was... that. Well, thank God we relive that. But we are now moving forward immediately. This is going to be a very fast version for those in the audience who haven't heard it. I'm going to give Connor a question. He's going to tell us whether or not what happened was socially acceptable, questionable, or not acceptable at all. Maxime, I'm happy to tell you that this involves you. So the story goes, we go all the way back to the Clipper series. And Maxime and I, in addition to working with one another, become friends. I love having him. And I invited him over to a game here to watch. And he came and we really enjoyed it. But before he showed up, which we had to figure it? out. You know, I don't remember. Do you remember which Clipper game it was? Nope. It doesn't, that, that portion doesn't necessarily matter. But we were figuring out logistics, what time to show up. And he shoots me a text saying, look, I live about 10 minutes away from you, which is true. Would you come and pick me up? Right? So he ultimately got his, got his own way here. I didn't, in fact, go and pick him up. But my question to you, in an era of Uber and yeah. Lyft and like all these other things, dude, Socially acceptable to ask for a ride to the person's house or not at all? Uh, it's not socially acceptable. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I like you, but the, I wouldn't do that. The Welcome thing to is, the show, they're doing, they're being nice by inviting you to their house, maybe making you food, you know, rolling out the red carpet for you. But like, and you're not poor, man. Like, poor is like five dollars, dude. It's like five dollars. Like, worst comes the worst. Uber it, and also that way you don't. You, you can. That's what I did. Yes, no, but you don't ask. Exactly. You no, just he do knew. it. He Listen, knew the options. Okay, just because you don't care about the environment. I'm over here trying to keep less cars on the road, okay? You're, you're not going to keep about? that Uber driver off the road regardless. I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I wasn't going to come pick you up in a horse and a buggy. You still would have been in a car. Yeah, that's it's two just... cars instead of one. <laughs> no, it is not. The, the guy is still going to go pick someone up. Exactly. The Uber driver is still somewhere driving. You wanted to increase the emissions uh, in the air. Okay. So not only did you hate my free time, you hated the environment, which is important to point out. Another random question, but it is equally irrelevant, so it sticks here. I went to game one, um, went with a wife, had a great time, and was hell-bent on being too loud. Got drunk before we went there, even though it was a 1230 game. Did you like, see anyone wearing a Warriors huddle? No, no, I didn't, even though I would have offered. So, and the reason I imagine you're asking is I tweeted out, and I will stick by it now, let me go public. Uh, if I ever see anybody, either at the game or on the street, I'll go ahead and say it, in a Warriors huddle, t-shirt, hoodie, Anywhere, 
anything drinks on me and notice the S on the word drinks, drinks on me. And if, for example, you want to get out there and get a shirt and put yourself in this pseudo lottery, go to tpublic, T-E-E, uh, public.com and look up Warriors. They're, they're dope shirts. They are. They're nice. To the, the but I could actually. wear anything that say, said Warriors on it. I <laughs> there you go. They're nice. But I digress. So I go to the game. Um, I want to get hammered at the game um, and am somewhat successful. And while I'm sitting there screaming my balls off, my wife on at least two occasions leans over and says, you are scaring those children and points out to two kids who when I make eye contact with immediately shield their eyes because they are in fact afraid of me because of how long I've, I've been screaming. So my question to you is this. I didn't cuss. Like, I, you know, there wasn't any F-bombs. Like, I kept it. Like, I understood. I saw those kids. I kept it within, like, the realm of appropriateness, I thought. So, at a playoff game, when is loud too loud? Is there a too loud in that circumstance? Do you have to edit yourself should children be around as far as sound quality is concerned? I mean, I think you can be completely abrasively loud in moments that make sense to be abrasively loud, you know, <laughs> but you can't be that guy when everyone else is being quiet on a dead ball, freaking out for no reason. Well, this is during the, the Warriors Grilled performance. So like that, does that make sense there? Like I, I mean, I really liked the, the routine they put together. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was what it was. I was dancing along with it. <laughs> what do you think, man? Can I be too loud? I think you're not loud enough. What like what is with these lulls? You know, I want wall to wall screaming with all seventy thousand people in attendance. I was a little disappointed. Seventy thousand? How many people you think fit into Oregon? Nineteen thousand five ninety six. You can <laughs> let him get away I, with that. You can immediately get away exactly with that. Right. I know. I thought I'm not going to give you that type of specificity and be <laughs> off. I was also a little disappointed you didn't ask me for a ride to the game. I was waiting for that text, but it just didn't come, which is super scandalous. <laughs> Too soon for that. I was a little disappointed that you didn't offer me a ticket to the game. So because if you did, I would have hundred percent been like, let's save the environment that's, and carpool. To be fair, that's why I didn't. Is I wanted to save the environment by not inviting you to the game which has the same connection i, to I had an off day earlier this season and we were texting and i was like hey i actually wouldn't mind going and just seeing the game from a different vantage point and he's like i can't take you <laughs> like thanks man <laughs> he could have taken you oh uh, i mean he just didn't want to. he had a ticket he's just trying to save the environment oh i'm sorry i'm still sitting here i feel like you guys are having a conversation about me while i'm not sitting right here also i'm married so it is what it is best thing i've ever done make my wife a warriors fan worst thing i've ever done make my wife a warriors fan <laughs> it is what it is let's not jump down that rabbit hole instead let me ask this um, have you guys ever rooted, and this is a real question, for a player who is going through the same type of dominant stretch that Kevin Durant is currently going through? Like They've happened, right? People have had this kind of success, obviously, on a sporting uh, floor, but as a personal experience... You know, like when Jordan was doing what he was doing, I wasn't a Chicago fan. You know, when when all these other, when Brady has done what he's done with a football, I hate the Patriots. So yep. for me, I've never had this. Not this. Have you guys? Is, is there anything comparable? I mean, nothing for me. Actually, Brady's a really good example. My buddy growing up was like a fan of all things Boston, even though we were growing up in the Bay Area. And I just hated him constantly because he had all of this success across like 
12,000 exactly different right. sports. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Yeah, like, good looking. Meanwhile, like, I went to Cal, <laughs> which is like the most notoriously terrible college for everything, you know, that actually matters, right? So I'm like, I'm like, listen, I have a history of, of repping teams that lose consistently. No, I've never seen anything. I have no idea what to do. I'm like, Props he's going to miss Jones the next one. Because if it makes you feel any better, Cal told me to go myself twice so yeah, at least you got in yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. only twice because they told me that like 10 times a year you were still there man i mean you got in you got in two last questions let me start here what's the most satisfying moment as a warriors fan at least for the playoffs so far i have some suggestions but feel free to go off script here are my subscribe or suggestions one patrick beverly sobbing after they lost remarkably satisfying two the Steph Curry dagger over the corpse of Nene Hilario in game one. Um, and finally, three, Chris Paul getting ejected at the end of game one. For me, and it's weird, this shouldn't be true, but for me, it was Pat Beverly crying. Like, really, it's just the sign of a guy having nothing but passion and, like, really allowing his emotions to pour out after a phenomenally well-played series. But I took it as a fuck you, Patrick Beverly. I hated you for more than a week, and I'm glad to see you cry. So it was satisfying for me. What do you guys think? I mean, I'm not a Warriors fan. Yeah, I said so, it wrong. I said it wrong. So I'll, I'll look at it from the prism of you know what was the most satisfying experience for the Warriors. Hey, there you go. Okay. Um, I think honestly, it has to be just Game Six, the way they came out and stomped them in that second half against the Clippers, because it was a moment where they were basically just saying, you know what. We're better than you, and I know we we gave you a little hope, but we're better than you. And kind of building off that, I think the beginning of Game Two of the second round, hmm. uh, after everything they'd heard about all the officiating coming out and just kind of sticking it to them right away, and then you know to compound that, James Harden getting injured pretty early in that game, <laughs> it was just kind of like, yo, we're we're the Warriors, okay? That a way to embrace the feel of this show, Connor. Nicely played. So, have you guys heard the story about the kid that strangled the mountain lion to death? Of course. Okay. No, I have not heard that story. Great. This happened recently. Have you heard the story? I have not. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. The story. Is that a new thing? Yes, it's relatively new. Some. Some. some Where was it? Some. I don't know. It was like somewhere in like. I mean, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that. If I strangle the mountain lion, but it like ripped my arm off, I'm not going to be like, that was dope. I killed this mountain lion. No, I'm down an arm. Game six, I don't care how tight they wrecked the dudes in the second half. Like, that wasn't satisfying. It was like, this should have been a sweep. What the f are you guys doing? So, as far as I'm concerned, the Chris Paul ejection was so satisfying because that guy pisses me off. To no end. I, I like angry Maxine. Does he We've piss all- you off more than James Harden? <laughs> no. Okay. Most hateable rocket. James Harden. By far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe if Chris Paul had a I think beard he might be like the that, most hateable player in the NBA. I, okay. I, I, this 100%. series, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you guys. This series, Chris Paul has catapulted himself above James Harden. Here's why. And it's subjective, right? Like, I'm not expecting you guys to agree with me. But his unique and unjustifiable sense of entitlement drives me insane. That little dance he did when Harden finally got a foul at the three-point line. The shimmy oh, the oh. shimmy he did with Steph after he hit the three. The smile he did to Kerr and then changed his face. 
all of these petulant displays of unfounded power, I am done with. Chris Paul, if you'd won a championship, if you won an MVP, if you won a finals MVP, if you put together the kind of resume that allows you to do these things, great, man, good for you. Do them. You can be an asshole. It's justified. You have not. You have not. The most significant thing you have done for NBA history is get hurt last year during the Western Conference Finals. So let's just go ahead and accept that and stop having demonstrative displays of power you do not have. I hate him more than I hate James Harden. Just is what it is. This series, I totally agree with you. I practiced that rant, and I was afraid I was going to rush it. It felt like no, I rushed it. Felt no, it felt super like tough. incredibly yeah, 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 well paced. Okay, yeah, 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 no, good. you no, really, you, you really that. nailed it. That was like okay. a, that was like a sports talk radio. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Perfectly timed. Right? Okay, thanks, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. All right, go ahead. Yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah. <laughs> at this point, what do I have to say? Um, no, I mean, look. The thing is, is that that um, Chris Paul has not had success really based on his antics. I mean, when he was on the Clippers with Griffin and, uh, you know, there was just, like, not really... Like, they just didn't get anywhere, right? They pissed us off. But, like, in terms of the national NBA, there was not any success based on... You know, so, like, he was regarded as an excellent point guard, but nothing really more, right? Whereas James Harden is an MVP. He is somebody that has seen the fruits of... Um, ridiculous behavior payoff. The, the last time I saw somebody petulantly celebrate what a umpire or ref had done was Barry Bonds. Mm. When Barry Bonds took a strike that he thought was a ball and a ref called it, he would look at the ball and condescendingly say, good call. There's a reason he could do that. He was the greatest person to have ever touched a bat and to hit a baseball in the history of mankind. You have to earn that crap. He has not. All right. Let's jump into one of our brand new segments this year, but still one that I genuinely enjoy doing. It's the look around the league for this. We turn to Marcus, even though he is not in the room, he's still been working hard out there. And what he's done is collected three stories from around the league. He's going to run all three of them by Marcus, or by Marcus, by Maxime, Connor, and I. We're going to vote on which one we want to talk about and then dive in. MT, what do you got? All right, three thrilling stories again. You know how it is, especially during playoff time when not a lot of teams are active. So give you the three best ones. One, Vince Carter. He has officially announced that he's coming back for his 22nd season. He is 42 years old. That is a dinosaur. I can't believe he's still playing. So we could talk about him. And not that old. Kind of what was going on. <laughs> not that, not old. that old. And let the, let the record not reflect not that, that Connor, for no reason, pointed at me. I'd also like the record <laughs> reflect that I am not, in fact, 42 years You're old. 41. Right? I'm not 41 either. Yeah, 40. Both of those numbers are absolutely wrong, and I don't need your stupid condescending points. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. So this is your fault, MT, for giving us one of your terrible and not thrilling stories. What are your other two? <laughs> Uh, the second one is Dwayne Wade was talking recently and admitted that he talked to LeBron during the offseason before he joined Miami, and they were just discussing which place they wanted to play at. And Chicago was actually at the top of their list, but Chicago didn't have enough money to afford both of them and Chris Bosh. But huh. they were really excited about playing with Derrick Rose, Joe Kim Noah, Lou Aldang, et cetera. So, um, we can talk a little bit about that. There are some other teams that they mentioned, including the Knicks. Um, and third, and the final story, um, it's coming out that the Brooklyn Nets are a place that Tobias Harris, Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Durant will consider signing in the offseason. 
Is this coming out from Marcus Taylor of the Warriors Huddle? Where is this rumor coming from? I have not heard this. <laughs> it's from Bleacher Report. Uh, Sean Marks is doing his thing over there at the GM. So, do you know? Was it Rick Buecher? Uh, Do you know who wrote it? Um, I don't remember who wrote it. I could look it up um, and give I, you that name. But so that story entertains me. But the I, got, I think either Vince Carter or Brooklyn. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go the middle story. I immediately disagree, only because so <laughs> that last story is definitely the most entertaining. But I feel like the uh, BR is a about as legitimate as the National Enquirer. I just don't believe most of the stuff that well, comes that's out. Well, that's why that's why I asked who wrote it because it depends who wrote it. Why? Like, who who would you? Because there's some people from BR who I think are credible. Uh, oh, all right. And is this one of those people? Do we know? Um, Rick Buecher, I think, would is pretty well sourced. Um, I think that we should talk about Brooklyn just because it's the most relevant to our audience. I think people any any Kevin Durant rumor people want to know about. You've shamed me into it, unfortunately I can, enough. I can give you the name. I can give you the name. It is Scott. Sorry if I butcher your last name. Polacek. Polacek. Oh, please tell me that you have no respect for I him. I don't even know who that is. Oh, yes. <laughs> hey, just a giant hip check to you, Scott. Hopefully you don't listen to the actual <laughs> podcast. Then I'm going to stick with my original thing. I'd like to stick or I want to talk about that middle story because I love the idea um, of this tampering rule continuing to be out there, even though players are now obviously and blatantly violating it, which means, Maxime, you can either make this a three-way tie, which would be terrible radio, or you can pick which one of these two stories we jump into. <laughs> Okay, a couple of things that I'd like to say. First of all, Noah from the Patreon crew was just ribbing me for posting a Bleacher Report article into the uh, Slack channel, so shout out to Noah. And uh, now that Connor's also wrecking the credibility of that uh, not-quite-institution, I guess, I don't know how I feel. And then also, Scott Polachek, 37 minutes ago, um, Cardinals didn't draft Kyler Murray number one to quote ride the pine two hours ago james dolan sued by msg three and hours ago he posted a picture of the loch ness monster close basketball for the Knicks. <laughs> kentucky derby so i don't really think this dude is deep in it's probably NBA a situation lore. where he's like you know what brooklyn nets are they're building something they could probably be good people would probably want to go there i don't really have any sourcing just to avoid the surefire slander lawsuit that is speeding its way towards this podcast scott i have nothing but respect for your work and I'm sure that Brooklyn is an absolutely phenomenal landing spot for all three of those young gentlemen. Maxime, what's yeah. your pick? Uh, look, I'm I'm voting for the Brooklyn story. I think that's oh the most God. interesting. After shithousing the guy, no, we're going to no, talk no. about it. I just needed to make sure that everybody understood that I'm an unbiased representation of what's happening. I, I think it's an interesting story regardless of how well sourced it is uh, because I've honestly been saying for a couple months now, I don't understand why the Nets aren't more of a aren't in the conversation more because they have the money. They're also in New York. They don't have all the baggage that goes with the Knicks. They yep. don't have a ho- horrible ownership. Yep. They have some really nice young pieces. They they have great leadership in Sean Marks, um, and they exceeded expectations this year. I think that. The Nets are the type of team where someone like Kevin Durant could go there this summer and make them a legitimate contender right away um, without even necessarily having a Kyrie with him. And I, I and also you're playing in a phenomenal arena in Barclays, which is probably my favorite arena in the NBA. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I don't know why they haven't gotten more chatter. Well, I think one of the things to consider is they would have to renounce or give up the rights to D'Angelo Russell in order to make that work 
from a cap perspective. To even have one so, max slot? Yeah, to get both of them. To be able to get um, two max slots, they would have to give up Russell, which, you know, I mean, I think you do that, obviously, if it's K, KD or Kawhi, but, um, you know, Karis LeVert is there. He and KD are supposedly close. So I think there's a lot of things working, and you would probably give up D'Angelo in a heartbeat if it means. Of, of course players. they would, but for, in, from my perspective, what's important about this story, what's entertaining about this story, isn't the makeup of the Brooklyn Nets and what they'd have to do to make sure that happens. I don't give a shit what happens with Brooklyn, right? But I will say first to piggyback to what Connor's saying, what what I could see being alluring about Brooklyn is has the upsides of New York, of the Knicks, because it is basically in New also York. Also a franchise that hasn't won anything. Okay, there you go. And it doesn't have the downsides. It doesn't have the Dolanese. You know, it doesn't have all the, the problems that would come with a, a franchise that has run that poorly. But what I like about this story is that it allows me to piggyback into a topic we have spent far too much time on. Where the hell is Durant going? And the reason I like it is because I kind of have a new perspective on it that I wouldn't mind boring you guys with. So the entire year, the way we've looked at this is through professional logic. What does professional logic suggest this guy is going to do? And it suggests he stays here. He's got the most money here. He's got the best chance at a championship here. He has the best teammates here. All logic points towards one destination. And so that's no longer the read for me. If he leaves here, it's because of personal rationale. Whatever that is, we'll never know it. He may not even know it yet. So if it's something like that, if it's fickle, if it's decision-making, then I really don't think it, it... to think about it now is pointless because he still is going to have, hopefully, another two months of nothing but remarkably positive basketball experience here that could immediately help him change his mind. You know, so if what we want to do is bank on what a fickle Kevin Durant will do, I don't think we will know until he's gone through these next couple of months, be it Brooklyn, be it wherever else Scott P thinks he may want to go. You know, I, I, that that's where I've come to on this. And MT, so I happen to know that you lived in Chicago. I know we're not allowed to talk about this story because the other two people in this room are too stupid to vote for it. But had you, uh, if, if you had been in Chicago. I think he really wanted to talk about that story. If you had been in Chicago and had heard this rumor. Um, then let me let me start that over. If it had actually happened, if they had built this super team in Chicago while you lived there, would you have become a Bulls fan? No, I was always a Warriors fan. I was always a Warriors fan. I mean, I would wear Warriors gear to the Bulls games. Um, and my brother worked, you know, essentially for the Bulls selling games. So um, I always represented, but they would have been my second favorite team. I mean, it's hard not to root for a team that has that many all-stars and is playing that well, but um that that it was always interesting in that arena like it's always it's a big arena and it's just quiet like even when the bulls are really good it just it, the energy in it was yeah. always a little fun united's one of my so, least favorite arenas I, i've never tried to visit yeah, there it's weird in related news we are going to rename <laughs> yeah. this podcast marcus's stupid perfect traits every time i throw you a question like, oh no of course i would remain loyal and i don't have any jealousy to my brother and all the other stupid lack of neurosis well, I, I am you know what I, it's 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 i actually now that i think about it some more and hear that context um I, I think about where Miami is now and where Chicago is No, you're now. not allowed to talk about this story. You voted against it. Nobody wants to hear what your opinion is. You forced us into a Kevin Durant contest. <laughs> Wait, because so we get, I just want to, I want to actually say that I do think it's pretty interesting that um, Miami has managed to still be a pretty interesting consequential franchise post LeBron 
D Wade, Chris Bosh. Whereas because the Bulls of Eric have, exactly, and and it's the Bulls have been a total joke. And so I just think it's really interesting. You know, if we're talking about the context of KD going to the Knicks versus the Nets and what that could mean for putting a team around him that is a title contender. I mean, you know, I just I think it's a very interesting parallel you, you can, to what could have happened if uh, LeBron and D Wade went to the Bulls, and you know, maybe they wouldn't have been as successful. So maybe they actually made they, the right choice. We're getting down a tangent here, but the Heat have a less talented roster than the Bulls. You can make an argument that the Heat had the least talented roster in the NBA. For sure. Marketing is a boss. They were in the running for a playoff seed until the last couple days of the season. Right, yeah. I'm sorry, are we going through a parallel universe where we figure out what could have happened on different f***ing teams? Who cares about this at all, at all, at all? Yeah, I will add one thing. I think you you hit it on the head, Brent. Like, we don't want to speculate as to, you know, like, we want to enjoy KD as he's playing here, where he goes is where he goes. Hopefully he stays, but... um, the anti-tampering rules, like the fact that D Wade mm. is retired now, he just came out and was just like, he said it so nonchalantly that it was just like, yeah, Braun called and his agent was like, we want to talk about Miami. And Braun was like, where's your head at? And he was like, I want to win. He's like, let's go to Miami. Well, what about Chicago? How about the Knicks? And you know, like the, those conversations happening and them admitting it just means that they're happening way more frequently and they will continue to happen. Oh. So I think Am I the subject once of we a get prank? through this run... Are you guys pranking you know, me right now? Is that what's happening? <laughs> this is the conversation I wanted to have. We waste 30 minutes asking Duran for who knows why, and then we round into this when I'm desperately trying to talk about the Warriors. I swear to God I'm being pranked right now. Yeah, go ahead, Connor. Apparently I cut you off during this prank session. <laughs> No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bram. I can see you. You're like your face is red. You're about to like stroke out. Right? I'm not sure what's going on. This episode opened up with you pointing out that I was apparently too old to play basketball anymore, and it wasn't a story about me either. So yeah. that's not the only reason. But... Oh, yeah. Thank you, Connor. Thank God we got there. Jesus Christ. I I will say this about the tampering, and then let's get the hell out of this segment. Uh, the more than anything, I just want this moment to end. The thing that that um, that bothers me about the tampering, I understand why you need it because if NBA superstars decide that they want to play with one another, and why wouldn't they? You're going to start having all the top-heavy lack of competition problems the NBA is facing right now. So I, I get why they have them, but I also don't understand why you would have them if you refuse to enforce them in any way, shape, or form. You know, I mean, people are literally and blatantly talking about them out loud. It doesn't sound that there's going to be any repercussions. So either try to enforce these rules or get rid of them. This middle ground doesn't make any sense to me. Go Warriors. <laughs> Where was that 15 minutes ago? <laughs> Last question. Yeah. Who wins this series and in how many games? Connor, what do you got? The Warriors, obviously. Uh, the Warriors win. And honestly... I think there's a chance they can sweep, but I'm going to say five games. They win in five games. I think the Rockets still won in Houston. Um, But I just feel like the Warriors are super motivated and inspired right now, and they want to make quick work of the Rockets to send a message to the league. Let's call this a uh, reverse jinx. Warriors in six. I think they're going to get comfortable. I think they're going to win one in Houston. I think Houston wins one. Then I think they come back and win uh, game five. And then we close it out in six. That's pretty interesting. Thank you for doing that reverse jinx so I can be real content in agreeing <laughs> completely with Connor. I really do think that the way they're behaving right now, they could sweep. But 
I you know I want to I want to recognize that Houston is an excellent NBA franchise, yeah. and I totally see them being able to pull off one at home. No worries. But more than anything. Peter Goober heard this and is telling the team to tank one game so that he can mess with James Harden in game five. So, Warriors in five. Goober, I expect you to be shining the bat signal in Harden's face. I don't care like what props you need to bring back. There better be seizure-inducing pyrotechnics before our next home game with that in mind because that will draw a close to the longest podcast in the history of podcasting. I believe huge fun you guys true every week. Certainly true this week before we get to any of our specifics far more importantly connor love you always love you i'm not alone where can we find you man other people out there want to get your work uh follow me on twitter at con underscore cron i tweet out everything i write you can also find my work at sfchronicle.com i also have my own podcast warriors awkward i had an interesting podcast this that came out this morning on fashion how the Warriors have become fashion moguls. I talked to our fashion writer who follows the Warriors imprint on the fashion industry. And it was a it was a unique podcast that I enjoyed doing. So give that a listen. I will absolutely check that out for us. You know where the hell to hit us just in case. Uh, our Twitter account, at Warriors Huddle. Our Gmail account, at WarriorsHuddle at gmail.com. Either of which can be used to give us any criticism, any praise, anything. Uh, if you want to reach out to Maxime and let him know that uh, you'd give him a ride anywhere you want. Maxime, where can they hit you? Nowhere. <laughs> at GoFuckYourself.com. You have a Twitter? <laughs> Go Warriors. <laughs> and hopefully, we'll see you next week. Good, good.